0: Thanks for joining us again for another edition of The Week That Really Was. My name is John McGurk. I'm the editor of Grip Media, and I am joined this week, as I always am, by my friend and my colleague, Miss Sarah Ryan. It's the 14th of December, 2023. Uh, this episode will actually be going out tomorrow, uh, Friday the 15th, uh, which is the day before I have to do my Christmas shopping, Sarah. Um, <laughs> I've been pulling it off now for weeks, and I keep telling my wife that uh, it's be fine until Christmas Eve, but she points out that Christmas Eve is on Saturday this year, and I really should. Get done before then. I assume you are more organised than I am.
1: Yeah, I'm getting there, but you see, the thing is, I don't think it's about like if you have a list and you know what you're getting, it's it's a doddle. It's it's the aimless walking around and not knowing what you're getting is the thing that'll kill you.
0: It is. But I'm I'm somebody who just likes going in there, going like you know, if I'm stuck for presents, I'm going to go to the bookshop and find books people would like, uh, even if they never read them. I've given them a present and it's thoughtful because it's a book they might like. Um. And, yeah, I
1: love getting off. books as well.
0: Books are great. Um well, they look good on shelves, even if you never read them.
1: Well, I'm, um, I read a lot, and I've, I'm actually on this, a roll at the moment. I've, I've read like three or four books in a row that have been all really, really good. But I am married to someone who, you know, like that old New York. I think it was a New Yorker cartoon where, the wife says that you know that one day the the pile of book the pile of books beside his bed that he was waiting to read collapsed and killed him. <laughs> Heath has been reading the same novel since I met him. Ten years
0: ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: He takes it out every year. We go on holidays and reads a few pages of it and goes back on Twitter. Read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have to say I read less now than I did when I was younger because I I, I I, struggle to find the time. And there's always something else. There's always something on TV or there's something on the computer or there's work or whatever. So I don't read as much. But I do try. To, I, I find Kindle great. Uh, for that because I don't need physical books and I can bring loads around with me on my phone and uh, and, and you know, a few minutes I'm doing nothing I can read a few pages so that's how I fit it in Anyway uh... If you get into
1: a good book though you make the time you find the time to read it you just have to get into it I mm. think reading is a kind of a habit you fall in and out of and um, because I read a really good book and then I'd gotten into the habit and then I read another one and another one. I kind of read four books really in quick succession and I hadn't read
0: four books in the previous two
1: years, if you know what I mean. So mm. I think it's a habit.
0: Anyway, comments on last week's episode. Once again, thank you all for the comments on last week's episode. They were they were they're wonderful. I mean, somebody called Cheapy 2006 says Sarah. Sarah is definitely a fine thing. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And that they love the podcast on a Friday drive home. Well, thank you very much, Chibi, 2006, for saying those things. Um, yeah. I mean, on the upside, somebody called Two Pints of Milk said that I was a very good-looking fellow. But uh, So I don't know who you are, Two Pints of Milk, but I'm imagining you to be a very attractive woman. Um, I suspect that might be inaccurate. You might have been joking, but I'm going to just stick with the version that's in my head. Um and most of the other comments were broadly agreeing with it. And I'm going to recap last week's episode. You can go back and listen to that if you want. But um, thanks so much for all the support and the listenership. We really appreciate it. This week, we're going to talk about surrogacy. Um, because there's a surrogacy bill going through the doll at the moment. And it was debated on TV this week. And debated, we thought. I think in, both of us thought in quite a one-sided way. But before we get to that, um, there were a few other things. The COP thing happened, Sarah. COP28 Paul Murphy locked some people in cars, uh, or tried to, and then there was then there was uh, the revelations from my colleague Ben Scallon that uh, bringing up videos of Hall Martin and Leo Varadkar and even Aon O'Reardon from just a few years ago, sounding very suspiciously far right. So you pick one and tell us which one we'll start with.
1: Well, let's start with that. because That's good, and that goes that proves my point of what I was making on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about people going on these journeys. You know and uh, how they completely change their views on things, you know, according to whatever Una Malali tells them to think or whatever you're having yourself. And I just think it's, I mean, I i took a lot of enjoyment of watching a video of Aon on rear, talking about li- the limited resources and how we don't have it. We don't have unlimited resources and we need to limit how many people we take into uh, our immigration numbers. Comical,
0: comical. Well, the, re- the really funny We're, thing. Refunding. come over to
1: the far right with say on like the the, the the weather's lovely over here it's great to have you like just yeah. show absolute bullshit it is for them to be calling people far right for asking questions about immigration, how the, they, the, they they've just they're just drunk on moral superiority and virtue signalling that they don't even remember what they taught themselves a month ago.
0: Pathetic. Well the really funny thing about that is that it was just a few days beforehand if you remember that Adon or it was, I don't know if it's was Aeon, Aon whatever his name is pronouncing. This a yawn. He stood up in the doll and basically denounced uh, Michael Healy Ray for saying the exact same things that he had said just a few years earlier. I mean, yeah. Michael Healy Ray has basically said we've only got limited resources, there are only so many people we can look after. We have to have confidence in the immigration and the asylum system. And you'd you'd have sworn that that he was that that where Michael had come into the doll wearing a suspiciously shiny black uniform and suspiciously shiny black sh- shoes and started waving with his right hand at people in the gallery. That's what you'd think had happened, given Aeon's reaction to it. Um, but in actual fact, he was just basically repeating what Aeon had said just a few years previously. So it's it's very funny. And it speaks, to, as far as I'm concerned, to political establishment that kind of has, you know, the bigger problem here is not, not about immigration. It's that they actually don't really believe anything. Um, yeah. They don't really yeah. believe anything at all, apart from the needs of the moment, whatever the needs of the moment might be. I mean, if and, and if, if if the needs of the moment tomorrow require these people all to start sounding like Gerdon Wilders, then they'll do it. Um, it's, so not it's, even,
1: it's not even it's the need. It's the trend of the moment. It's the, it's the, what's the, what are we all What's the virtue, the virtuous position of the moment and whatever that is, that's what they are. And it doesn't matter what they thought before. And with everybody is far right. The irony that last week we were talking about Helen McEntee not being able to define what the far right is. We could scarcely define it ourselves. And that's because it's everyone. Dep- like it, it, at some point, it turns out it's everyone because everybody is apparently far right at some point. If this is what far right is. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and it's it's very funny. Uh, just on a related note, uh, and I know we didn't say we discussed this, uh, but but just it just reminds me of kind of like this referendum they're holding. Did you see Neil Richmond on TV during the week? No. Um, so Neil Richmond goes on TV during the week and um, basically says that the 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 amendment that will change. I remember we were talking about this last week. The changing of the word a definition of family from being marriage to other significant relationships.
1: Oh, I did see this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, And
0: and Neil Richmond goes on TV and says that one of the benefits of this will be that it will make it easier for people who have immigrated here to bring in more of their family members because it will no longer be just their wife. It will obviously be anyone else with whom they've got a significant, long-standing relationship will be able to come here under the new definition of family in the Constitution. And I was just thinking there's one of two explanations here either he's deliberately trying to lose the referendum or yeah. he's that out of touch that he thinks this is something that the yeah. voters of the country at the moment this moment in time will see as a positive which i think it is I, yeah it's
1: it, yes it was an interesting little conundrum because i was so taken aback by that when i saw it because i <clears throat> i know neil richmond and I like him very much and I think he's very smart and I know people who've worked with him um, and, you know, helped him in his campaigns to get elected. And, and you know, I, I think he's, he's a very capable guy. So I was, it's exactly what you said. It's a choice between, did he do that on purpose? Like for some reason that we can't figure out or does he really, is he really not aware of how, how, inflammatory that what he's just said is going to be among certain circles of society at the moment i can't i I don't know what the answer to that is i just i don't think he could be that naive about the immigration issue he couldn't i mean he's a dublin td how could he be
0: so yeah it was very strange and i mean it wasn't it wasn't dragged out of him he volunteered that that information Um, it, which was, was just, I thought uh, uh, it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out, but I I really can't figure out, And I want to endorse what you said about Neil. I've known Neil, not well, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we've known each other for 15 years, more longer. And I would endorse, I'd say he is number one, he's an exceptionally smart person. Number two, he's an exceptionally, exceptionally nice person. Like one of the nicest people in politics, if you meet him, um, yeah. And and capable and probably will go far in Finnegale, assuming he holds a seat at the next election. Um, but uh, it was a baffling thing for him to say, which poses the question: Does he believe it, or is he trying to lose the referendum? I suspect it's. I suspect it's he believes it, and is just that out of touch with what public opinion on this topic across the country is at the moment. Because there's a lot of people out there, Sarah. Uh, you know, when I say out of touch with public opinion, I'm not talking about people who kind of want to deport everybody or people who are going to protests or people who could say immigration is the number one issue. Just ordinary, regular, middle of the road people who think we've had a bit too much now at this point.
1: People like Aeon. Not Aeon today. Other Aeon.
0: Old Aeon. Old Leo. Old Mihal.
1: Old Leo. Old Mihal, Old Aeon. Just, just, you know, their version 1.0 of of all of those people and not version 13.9 which we're on now.
0: Yeah, I think it just all speaks to me, and we, we make this point, we don't want to be repetitive, but it all speaks to me to a political class that is, is kind of talking to itself yeah, uh, rather than the public. Anyway, speaking of people talking to themselves rather than the public, um, COP28 happened. Um, it was all going to collapse. Also, uh, we're,
1: they're, they're very cynical, John. You're very cynical.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: And also psychic.
0: Yes, I, I, I remember I, I did send a tweet the, the night before the deal coming through saying, look, this happens every year. Every year this thing is on the verge of collapse. There's hugely unacceptable texts in circulation. Poor Eamon Ryan is going to go to home in failure. And then I said, don't worry, tomorrow there'll be a deal. It'll be imperfect, but they'll have pulled it out of the bag at the last moment. Eamon will have been up all night with the shirt sleeves pulled up talking to the lads from America to get another 10 billion for poor country. It'll all be sorted. And it was. Yeah. They'll fly that,
1: in a they'll fly in a pizza on a private jet to
0: feed them because they'll be working late. A whole a whole pile of pizzas, Domino's pizzas. If they, you know, it's all very theatrical, um, and it, it does it literally does follow the same script every year. And once again, what we got was a document. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a, a global warming skeptic. Not I believe the world is warming. I believe humans are probably contributing to it, but I'm very skeptical of the solutions that are being put forward. But because there's this attempt, of course, to stop it, stop ever hitting 1.5 degrees of warning by warming by getting rid of all the fossil fuels and stopping flying and stopping it putting everyone out of their cars and getting us all back to living in huts and trees um and I'm, I'm very skeptical that the the global public will ever go for it and I think probably the money should be better spent on sort of adaptation strategies that's where I yeah. that's what I think about about all
1: adaptation strategies and also Innovation like this is the argument that I have in my head with these you know the 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 problems arising from climate change will be solved by innovation. They won't be solved by some chubby, angry 20-something-year-old who's spraying a Christmas tree with orange paint or, you know, pouring out the milk and eggs in the Harrods food department like a goon. Yeah,
0: um, I mean, it's, it strikes me that in World War II, because my wife is making me watch Oppenheimer at the moment, not loving it, not loving right. it at all. Um, oh, It's obviously a th- three hour trying, long. He,
1: he's trying to make me watch it, so yeah, okay.
0: Um, well, you, you may like it. I, I don't. I don't love it. I've watched an hour of it so far. It's three hours long. I'm not watching all that in one sitting. So we watched an hour of it tonight, and we'll watch another hour tomorrow night as on. Well. But it strikes me one thing about that is that during World War Two, there was this massive effort to obviously beat the Germans—the nuclear bomb—and all resources were poured into it. It strikes me that if you poured a fraction of the resources into trying to make nuclear fission happen, that they pour into windmills and all this other stuff you could probably solve energy efficiency much more quickly because if if they can just make fission happen, fission is where you fuse two atoms rather than splitting one, um, then you, sorry, fusion, not fission is what we have at the moment, fusion, if you can fuse two atoms rather than than splitting one, um, you, you create perfectly clean sort of sustainable electricity that replaces everything. But there seems to be very little effort being made on massive big ideas that could actually solve the energy crisis, get us off fossil fuels without a reduction in consumption. And sometimes it seems to me like the whole point of the green energy, green thing is not to fix global warming, but to have a re- reduction in consumption as a good in and of itself.
1: Yeah. And also, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that like it's very the, the, you know, that we're talking about changing, we're told all the time about changing behaviours and changing this. And we have to, you know, what was the line that Aeon said that people need to accept that their lives are going to be very different and all of this kind of stuff. It's just very hard to take from people who are flying around the world on planes and, you know, countries not fully participating that are, you know, that in the time that we've been recording this podcast have probably created more emissions than Ireland did in the last week. You know what I mean? It's just, it's all a bit, I don't know. And it also just is, see, it always feels like another way to tell us, you know, to virtue signal and to tell us how bad we are and, you know, how we could be better. And I think that the public are a bit tired of being told how crap
0: they are all the time. Also, people aren't going to accept it. Like, you can can say this all you want, about, oh, people have to accept that their lives are going to be very different in the future. And it's all theoretical for the moment. And everyone, of course, can put up with a bit of a carbon tax. You know, rich people can take their grants to get a new heating system in their home where people will continue to pay their oil, their their their, their kerosene or whatever, their gas, whatever they're, they're burning to heat their homes. Those are all kind of small things compared to what they say we need to do. So you start telling people that actually, you know, you're, you're, you're only allowed to leave the island four times in your life. Um, no more holidays overseas. Um, no more, no more travel around the place. You know, you 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 don't get. You you can't just sit in your car and drive to Dublin as I occasionally, not as often as I should do. Um, you know, if, if you start making Tipperary to Monaghan, which is where my parents live, a journey that is massively arduous compared to what it is today, that's going to be immensely unpopular because the country is full of people who depend on our current way of life for very basic things like family connections Um, so the idea that this can be done strikes me as a pipe dream especially when it's not a global thing, the Americans ain't going to do it the Chinese ain't going to do it, the Russians ain't going to do it so I mean you're basically talking about a a few very woke countries in Western Europe talking about committing economic suicide to accomplish something that no one else is interested in accomplishing
1: but also going back to the thing we've talked about before which is scaring people like Aon, what was Aon's comment that the country would be
0: underwater or whatever. Oh, I forgot on. about this. Yeah.
1: And then well, was one of my favorite comment statements in a long time was uh, NASA Horrigan, Green Party TG, who referred to what he'd said as a hy- <laughs> which I just think is just so deadly. A hyper, hy- hyperbolic, hyperbolic, hyperbolic turn of phrase. A politician who used a hyper hyperbolic turn of phrase. Yes. So from now on, right? I just lost this because I just feel like I tweeted about it. I was like, from now on, anytime I'm accused of misinformation, I'm just gonna refer to it as that. I'm just gonna say, oh sorry, yeah. Oh, I, I was spreading this information. Oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. It was just a hyperbolic turn of phrase.
0: Yeah. What, a, the, load, what a load of shite. What what did they say again exactly? Wasn't it that Ireland would be underwater within 30 years? Half the country would be underwater within 30 years. Um and yeah. I mean, just, just in case anyone is out there is in any doubt, there is no scientific protection projection anywhere in the world that suggests anything like that. The most pessimistic projection for sea level rise is 1.5 meters in 150 years time. So in 150 yeah. years time, Funtarf um, might suffer some, some flooding if they haven't built the seawall a bit higher than it is. Yeah. But we're so, not talking here about. Uh, but he,
1: but he said that, and then he got all this backlash, and then people like NASA coming to his defense just were like dismissed the blatant misinformation that he has 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 stated publicly as this hyperbolic. Herper- say, say the word. Is it hyperbolic? Hyperbolic. And yeah.
0: Actually, the, the the noun is hyperbole.
1: Yeah, hyperbolic turn of phrase, and it's like. So it reminds me of, you know, like if someone's rich and famous, they go to ter- they go to um because they're rich and famous, they go into rehab for sex addiction. But if you're not rich and famous, you're just a pervert. And it's like <laughs> and it's like if you're if you're on the wrong side of things, if you're right wing or you're, you're spreading misinformation, and everybody clutches their pearls and it's outraged. But if you're on the right side, like I it's just a hyperbolic turn of phrase.
0: What a load of shite. Well, this brings me into a concept I've been thinking and developing for the last while which is that there are kind of two classes of misinformation in Ireland. So there's obviously unapproved misinformation, which we're all very familiar with. And unapproved misinformation is things like during the pandemic saying, oh, I don't know if I'll get a vaccine because I'm not sure that they will uh, they'll stop the spread of disease. That's dangerous misinformation. Where, And then you have approved misinformation, which is things that are untrue, but help people come to the right conclusions. So for example... If you say Ireland will be mostly underwater in 50 years, that is not literally true, but it helps the public come to the right conclusion about global warming, which is an urgent problem. Therefore, it's kind of misinformation in a good cause. There's there's lots of examples of that. So the journal did a bit of it today because they were reporting on a on a story that Sharon Cohen reported last week from basically where Bangladesh oh, Yeah, hmm? Yeah, remember I saw
1: this? Uh, Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, so the Bangl- Bangladeshi family had, had come in here from the UK. Uh, they'd spent 25 days in the UK. They arrived in Belfast. They got a train down to Dublin. That very same day, they were assigned to an apartment in a village in um, Westmead, I think it was, um, in a little village called Cool. And Sharon Kjohan had, had had noted this and made it public. And she was assailed for promoting really dangerous misinformation. This is the kind of thing that doesn't happen it's a shameful thing. Other politicians actually said and turned and said, this is disgraceful that an elected politician would spread this kind of misinformation. So the journal then, a week later, and by the way, we, we checked the story. It was entirely true. The journal a week later produces this kind of uh, fact check of the, the story in which their headline reads, let me just pull up the headline here in terms of what it says. The headline reads... Uh, this is wrong. The misleading claim about a refugee family getting a house, free house in Westmeath, subtitled The Rumour Has Circulated Widely Online Since Last Month. So, uh, if you just read that headline, you think, okay, Sharon Keown is talking bullshit. Obviously, it didn't happen. But when you read the story, it basically says, um, yeah, everything happened, as she said, but it's very important to know that they don't actually own the house. They're only getting it temporarily from the Irish state. So...
1: I, I mean, saw her tweet and then I read the comments
0: and so I'm not I, I'm not exaggerating like people said she was a liar.
1: Oh no, it was really nasty. I stopped reading hmm. cuz I know Sharon and I like her. And also that's another thing actually lately I've really noticed like you and I are doing a podcast right and we like Case in point now, we're just criticising Aeon, right? Aeon or Erdogan. I don't agree with Aeon or Erdogan about 99% of the things he thinks or whatever. But I just, I just find it fascinating the way people carry on on Twitter and stuff. Even like, maybe, and you're, you've been subjected to a lot of this, but I stopped reading because it's just so much poison and I don't want to drink it. Like, I'm... I'm all for like debating things with people, or whatever. But like, I'm trying to think of something about Aeon that's obviously not true. Aon Ariadon has a great head of hair on him, right? So the idea that I would go on to Twitter and be like, "You're a big bald," like, like when people go into like really nasty, per- I just don't get it. Like, why do you need to feel the need? Do you know what I mean? It's just so like. I just don't understand why people feel the need to get so personal and turn the internet, like Twitter, and I, I, I as I'm saying it, I know people are going to say, oh, it's so naive, that's all has been going on. I'm telling you now, you could go into my Twitter feed right now, read back through all my replies, and you will not find one tweet of me. Like being nasty about someone's appearance or like attacking them about stuff like that, I just don't understand that
0: a, few, that. a few years ago, in a in a moment I'm not particularly proud of, I got really annoyed at Colin O'Gorman, formerly of Amnesty Ireland, and I think I told him that he was a disgraceful stain on the national discourse, or to <laughs> that effect? Um, well, that's about as that's about as mean as I get. Um, I regret it. I shouldn't. I, I lost my temper, and when you lose your temper like that, you kind of lose any argument you're you're involved in. Um, uh, but I always find... I think it was... And I, I know I'll get in trouble with some people for approvingly, quote, approvingly quoting Margaret Thatcher. But she was subject to a lot of, uh, obviously, abuse. People might agree or disagree whether it was warranted. But one thing she said always stuck with me was she said, I'm always encouraged when they attack me personally because it means they've got not got one single argument left. So if somebody says... If I say something and somebody comes back to me with that is wrong for this reason, this reason, and this reason, then you really should have read... Uh, up about it before saying it That's actually more wounding to me Than somebody saying you're a fat slob Or you're a disgrace Or you know the usual, the usual. Stuff I get is usually kind of psychologically orientated it's, a t- it's an attempt to take you down a peg or two By going no one listens to you Everyone thinks you're a joke blah, blah, blah. That That's the kind of stuff I get More actually than the physical stuff Women I think get the physical stuff more Women women get that kind of abuse And it's awful Um, But it doesn't doesn't bother me that much
1: anyway I saw the like yeah sometimes I does a did you ever watch that movie Billy Madison um no. here? well there's this really funny scene and um they're doing a quiz kind of like Jeopardy and one of them answers this question obviously wrong but like really 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 wrong and I have it here on my phone this is so funny sometimes I just post the gif of this back to people and it's the the presenter of the show when he says the wrong answer he the presenter says There's a, there's a kind of a gif of that. And sometimes I just respond that to people because it just says whatever. But like, that's about as mean as I get. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, I was reading the Sharon Kip and just some of it was just so nasty. And I was like, oh God. And now it's turned out that she wasn't lying. But not one person will ever go back to her and say, oh, sorry about that, Sharon. Seems oh, it's like- worse
0: than that. It's not that ever, no one will ever go back and say, oh, sorry about that. Uh, you were actually correct. I apologize. It's that a lot of those people will continue to insist that she was lying until the dawn of time, or they'll do what they did with 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 us at grip when we reported that the attacker uh, on, on whatever date it was was Algerian. They will say that you shouldn't have reported that, or you're 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 racist for being worried about it, or any of those things. I mean, the script always changes. But
1: now you can just say that, that was a hyperbolic turn
0: of phrase. Well, that's true. That's true. A hyperbolic use of facts. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about surrogacy. Oh God, this is tricky, hey? It is. I mean, I I, I kind of feel a little bit okay talking about surrogacy because I have no kids and I understand exactly what people who can't have kids are going through. I've said before in this podcast that my wife and I are in the the luxurious position of not being particularly upset about it. Mm. Um, Maybe that'll change as we get older, who knows? But but, uh, I, I doubt it. But who knows? You can never know what you'll feel in 20 years time, I suppose. But I, 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 I do know and I've known couples, Sarah, who have gone through what can only be described as the mental anguish of trying to conceive, being unable to conceive, and feeling unimaginable pain as a result of it, known some of those couples. So I, I, no one should take that lightly. Um, and I suppose for some of those people that are listening, um, surrogacy um, probably feels like a, a potential godsend. So. I suppose before we talk about this, I think Sarah and I have similar opinions on it, we want to say to people that uh, our opinions on that are not directed at you personally and shouldn't be shouldn't be taken that way. We recognise how painful that situation is, but unfortunately, rights have to be balanced, um, and I, I think we both feel that proposals to regulate commercial surrogacy don't really balance those rights. Sarah, is that a fair summary?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I have three children, and I I I, I wouldn't say that that was like I would I would say that that wasn't an easy journey but it was definitely I mean obviously the result ended well and also I would say it was on the you know it was difficult but it was on the the milder end of difficult compared to other people um and I you know I I've seen friends and and the struggle to get pregnant and the it's hell like they literally go through hell um <clears throat> and back to try and have a baby so I'm I'm, I'm familiar with that but there's 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 issues here and it's funny because I've kind of changed my so long long time ago um not a not I suppose 15 years ago I worked with somebody who was a good friend of mine and his wife had been a surrogate for her best friend and this is in the UK and um I remember at the time thinking like what an amazing gift it had been. And, and, you know, and I was friendly enough with him that I could, I I, I had loads of questions and like, we were good pals. We were working away from home, both of us. So we'd go for dinner and I asked him a lot of questions. I was like, what was it like? Like they already had two kids themselves. They were done having kids. And I was like, when you came home from the hospital with no baby, like what was that like? And he was really honest. He said that it was difficult. And but ultimately the gift that she'd given her friend kind of outweighed that and whatever. And I was kind of fascinated by the whole thing. So I feel like that 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 kind of that type of surrogacy and commercial surrogacy are kind of different. And I think uh, like, uh, I think it's really hard. I think that people who really want a baby and this is their only way to have a baby, you wouldn't want to take that away from them. But there's a few issues. One is I think that the it's, there's a bond, you know, the, the, the carrying of a baby and the, the the job of carrying a baby, being taken on by somebody because of their poverty is just tricky for me. um I feel like, you know, as I've got, as I got older, like, you know, you hear these stories and it sounds wonderful. Oh, this woman, you know, we, we traveled to another country and this woman had carried a baby for us. But, you know, what if she carries 10? Like, is that, too, you know what I mean? Like, is that taking advantage of her situation? Like oh, I had three um, Full term pregnancies. I found the uh, with every pregnancy it was harder on the body. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a it's 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 a very tricky subject, and I think that there is a bond and a link between the mother, the you know, and and that baby. That's not a nothing thing to me. And you know, you see these videos of people doing skin to skin with a baby that you know the surrogate is now gone and. I don't know, John, there's something, there's, there's, there's things about it that make me feel sad for the bond between the mother or the woman who carried the baby and the baby.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the difficulty around having this conversation is that people don't want to hurt the feelings of people who have in good faith adopted surrogate children or, or employed people to have their babies for them. Um, But I think there comes a point when you're talking about these issues that you have to say, like, uh, which is something, uh, a mantra I live by. I would never intend to offend anybody, but I think it's very important that you don't say things you believe, that you don't shy away from saying things you believe to be true in order not to offend somebody. So if you are offended by this, I'm about to say, I apologize. It's not my intent to offend you, but if you're offended by it, uh, well, it's it's my opinion and it's honestly held. Uh, And that opinion is as follows babies aren't commodities. Yeah, if you can, if you can, we had in this country something you said to me earlier on today, Sarah, which stuck with me. We have a scandal ongoing in this country. It's not over yet of the sale of babies from orphanages in this country to the United States from so called fallen women when they were put into mother and baby homes and people came over and literally paid the nuns for their babies and took them off. Those babies yeah. may have had good lives in the US, but we all instinctively recognize that buying them um, and selling them from out from under their mothers. Was, uh, was a terrible thing to do. I don't think that gets much better if the mother consents. um or in, in, a cases, in a
1: lot of cases, and in a lot of cases, the trauma there wasn't, wasn't, the, the trauma that we heard from wasn't the mother's. It was mm-hmm. the child's. That when they grow up, and I know somebody in particular, particularly close to me, who's now a man of 70, who was adopted And there's a trauma there of never knowing, you know, who, where he came from and and who his mother was and what was the circumstance. And, you know what I mean? So, like, that's in our, that, 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 that treatment of women and children and and children not knowing who they're, where they came from or who their mother was or what the circumstances is, is is in our DNA. Like, that's in us as a country. We've, Mm -hmm. we've, we've sat and watched. The late late show or whatever it is, and 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 watch these cases and 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 been made aware of the important, the importance and the 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 trauma of a link being broken between who you are and who you where you came from, and yeah. I don't know that this is that different.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't think it is. I think it's I think it's 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 morally pretty much the same thing. Um. Yeah. But, the there's
1: different, but there's also sorry to interrupt you, but there's also different things here. So there's a legal loophole in Ireland, for example, where if you go to another country and you um, have a surrogate in another country and you come home with that baby, that baby isn't recognised as being yours if you didn't carry the baby. Do you follow? Even if that, mm-hmm. even if that egg was your own, mm-hmm. right? So I know people who've gone to say, for example, for Spain and used donor, a donor, donated its sperm and donor egg and come back. Pregnant, and just they just don't say anything to anybody because once you give birth to the child in Ireland, to tech, even though that child is biologically not related to you in terms of the embryo is not your egg or your husband's sperm or whatever, because you gave birth to them in Ireland, you're the mother. Mm. That's the way the law works. So I know people who's, who, who've done that and have just come back, said nothing, and that's it. But if you come back with a child that wasn't that you didn't carry there's a legal loophole there where you're not recognized in Irish law as as the mother. And that's a legal loophole that ne- that needs to be addressed. And that's absolutely fine. But what you're saying, like there's, there's different versions of surrogacy. There's a surrogacy where my egg is, in, uh, my, let's say, use myself and Keith as an example, myself and Keith's embryo is implanted into another woman. That child is DNA wise is ours, Right another woman carries it and that's surrogacy but then there's also situations where I get an embryo that's half Keith's not my egg and that's implanted into another woman so now the child is carried by one woman but actually biologically related to another do you follow?
0: Yep and, I'm and, and not, not related uh, at all to the and
1: not related daughter. at all to, and not related at all to me so like the surrogacy with our embryo and then the surrogacy with donated embryos and they're 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 they're, they're they look like the same thing, but they're not. Do you know what I mean? So you could have people later desperate to know where they came from who had a very happy life or whatever, but also very keen to know, well, who is the woman who donated the egg? And who's the woman who carried carried me? And 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 and, and who am I? And where do you know what I mean? And like, I think that that's like tricky. They, and,
0: they, and I think it's important to remember when talking about these questions, these are questions most of us never have to wrestle with. So we can't, I think, comprehend how existential they are for people because the vast majority of people listen to this, the vast majority of people in all our lives never have to wrestle with these questions. We know who our parents are. We know where we came from. There are obviously some people amongst us who are adopted, but they're a minority. The vast majority of people never have to wrestle with these questions. And so writing them off as insignificant, I think, is a mistake.
1: Yeah, but because, like, you know, what a privilege to know exactly where you came from. But that's my point in that, in that we know and, you know... Like it's 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 obviously different if you're adopted and you were, you know, you know that you were given up. You don't know maybe you don't know the circumstances, but that caused trauma. So we have no way of knowing how these people, these children will feel when they grow up and what they'll want to know about, you know what I mean, who they are, what like what will they place more value on the woman who carried them or the woman who donated the egg, how will it work, how will they feel? We don't know. And I I, I don't think it's a nothing question to expect or I don't think it's it like irrational or at all irresponsible to ask questions and expect that these children might someday have these questions and they're it's hard to talk about it as you say, not trying to upset or offend anybody. But I also think John like like a lot of things that we talk about on this podcast, a lot of people
0: secretly have these questions. They secretly wonder about this stuff and they're afraid to ask. I, I have to say I first of all I agree with everything you said. Um, particularly about a lot of people having, like what I might call, kind of qualms about about this, but not feeling confident enough to air their opinion, because mm-hmm. they, some, a lot of times people feel that they don't have enough knowledge or they're they don't want to upset people, so they kind of have these qualms and they keep them quiet. I have a huge qualm about sort of the the precedence it sets, because I think once you go down the road of saying that you. have essentially got the right to pay for a human being to be created and for somebody else to carry it and bring into the world that, I mean, anytime you commoditize something like that you create a customer and you create a salesperson and you create therefore the expectation of, sort of quality service um, I think that there are huge issues around uh, once you accept that I can create a baby why can't you then accept that I can genetically modify that baby to create a, an intelligent baby or a blonde baby or I mean, I saw a clip last week of an American surrogate couple who were bragging on TikTok about how they had gone through the process. It cost them about two hundred and fifty thousand euros. The, the The couple in question were were same sex male couples, so they 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 were bragging about how the catalogue they used because they literally had a catalogue of women. I think it was from from either Colombia or. Argentina, a South American country, and all the women in the catalogue had been to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or an Ivy League university, and all of them were, in their words, had supermodel looks because they wanted a beautiful, smart baby. And they were willing to pay a premium for a beautiful, smart baby. Um, And that, to me, has huge ethical implications because, you know, you you get down... What happens if halfway through that pregnancy it turns... I mean, this has happened we yeah. halfway through the pregnancy. It turns out that yes, your beautiful, smart baby is is going to be a beautiful child with Down syndrome, or some other or
1: cleft lip, or a cleft palate, or something, anything. Yeah.
0: And, and there have been cases where people have actually sued their surrogates, forced them to have an abortion. Um, and you know, and I don't care what your 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 views on the morality of abortion are. That's not this conversation. It is the it is the precedent we are setting about the expectation of perfection in children. Um, and. I think that if you I, I guarantee you, Sarah, that had your child been born with uh, 14 toes instead of 10, you'd have loved them anyway, because yeah. you you want a healthy baby. That's your child who you love unconditionally. But I'm, I'm concerned when you go down the road of commercial surrogacy, that there's an expectation that the child actually has to live up to some expectations. Um, and I, I don't think that's there with natural parents, because there's a there's a kind of a there's a procreative instinct in people that binds them obviously not in all circumstances tragically, but in, in the vast majority of cases binds them to their own offspring. And if you if you go down the road of saying, well, I can I can just go through a catalogue and pick the genetic characteristics in effect, which is what you're doing, you're going through a catalogue of women um that I want in my child, uh, that creates huge ethical implications about the future of human life. Um and I think it's I think it's the biggest single problem with it. Like you, I want to say I have no difficulty with um somebody being a surrogate for their sister voluntarily or for their close friend or whatever, once no money is is changing hands. But I would ban all payments for surrogacy in the morning and I would do it without a moment's hesitation.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I I think I know the couple you're talking about in America as well. And I was just like there was um there was a kind of a cartoon going around online about, you know, drawing um comparisons to the handmaid's tale, you know, like that women just being kind of like vessels to have babies for other people,
0: and well, in that video, they, they actually said the the couple in question, and well, they were joking, but it was kind. Of, I thought it was a really off color joke. They said, "Yeah, it's kind of like a form of prostitution," and it is. It, it is like you, you're essentially. I mean, if you're engaged in prostitution, you're you're buying a woman's body for twenty minutes. If you're engaged in surrogacy, you're buying it for nine months. Yeah, I
1: mean, but also, you know, like I'm, like. I think that there's something, you're you're acting as if that the bond between the mother and the child is irrelevant almost. And i and, and I, having carried three children myself, just not sure that that's true. <laughs> and uh, like the idea, I don't know, it's just... Like, I, I, ultimately, I think that like, as you say, like your sister or your best friend or whatever is a different, completely different set of circumstances than what is effectively to me looks like taking advantage of somebody's poverty to get something that you want. And like, it's different in Ireland because we don't really have, you know, a huge number of children that are like, that are looking to be adopted. But in countries like the States, they do. And... Mm-hmm. I don't understand it, it, there's something about it there's something about that kind of like I don't I don't personally speaking like if I hadn't had been unable to have kids and I lived in a country that had a lot of kids that were looking to be adopted I 100% would have adopted do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um I would love to foster children but that I'm 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 voted I'm voted down on that by Heath but um I know a lot of people who do and then they find it uh, in, in, incredibly rewarding. I I I think that like the prostitution example is is, you know, it sounds like it's dramatic, but it's not really because it's take it's having someone else who's in a circumstance where economically they're poor, and they need money, and they're using their body for something that you want, and you're taking advantage of that.
0: Mm-hmm. There's there's also the other issue here, and I I, I mean, we don't shy away from difficult conversations here, and I I, I know some people will say this is singling out same-sex couples, but to me it is, there is something deeply unsettling about um, bringing a child into the world and deliberately from day one ensuring that that child will not have, either in the case of a female couple, a, a male figure in its life as a parent or a female parent. I think I, th- I think that is a choice that you're making for a child that I don't think you have the right to make. Am I being too edgy there? But I, I, I don't think I am. I mean, I, I think it's wrong for a, a same-sex couple to to essentially purchase a child from a woman and then deprive that child of a mother for essentially its entire childhood. I'm not saying that they're bad parents. I'm not saying yeah. that they don't love the child. But yeah. I'm saying I believe that there are differences between men and women. and I mean, I, I don't know about you, Sarah, growing up, but like I had very different parental experiences from my mother and father, both of which were unique and valuable in their own way, but either of which would have been entirely terrible on their own.
1: Oh, well, I mean, uh, I, I could, like, I could, I mean, one of my most kind of firmly held beliefs is that that the two parents offer, you know, very different roles to children and, and particularly and, and, and I could literally talk about this all night about um, men, boys and the need for boys to have a male role model, a father. Obviously, you know, people like things, circumstances happen, you know, people end up, their fathers die and different things. But optimally there is, you know, there's data that shows that optimally boys do best if they have a strong father figure in their life and, yeah. so, and, and a certain type of discipline. And you can literally track social problems, particularly in the States is where they've done the t- the studies of males and their, lo- of uh, young males and their likelihood to finish full-time education, their likelihood to end up in prison, their likelihood to end up in trouble, their likelihood to do this that, and the other and the relationship between that and whether or not they had a father. These are, this is a fact. This isn't, you know what I mean? This isn't me, like you know singling out single mothers or whatever it's just the unfortunately boys very do very well from having a father yeah mothers mothers have a different role i also think that girls and i when i look at friends like the relationship with the father that the girls have with their father is a blueprint for the fa- relationships that they have for their for men, for men in their life and they do well to have a good one though like that's just the way it is like you, you know i have members of my family who are single mothers, I'm not saying they're not good parents, they're excellent parents, but pe- kids do best from having both parents. That's just it, it, the way it is. Heath brings something completely different to the table than I do. We both have our roles and I got very different, very different things from both my parents. So like optimally, optimally, yes, like people have both parents and I, yeah. I agree with you, like I don't, I, I. it's such a hard topic because I have, lots of people who are are, are a few in particular same-sex couples who have children who I think are excellent parents and I I hate the idea of them feeling like that I was criticizing them or coming down on them in any way I'm really not but I think that like you know hard there's hard questions in this there's hard conversations and the the thing and the difference by the way in surrogacy John if you have a same-sex couple is that you know very often like the 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 in surrogacy, there's a potential that the child isn't related to the to either of the people at all. If you know what I mean. Whereas in same sex couples, that's not always the case. Do you know what I mean?
0: In mixed sex couples.
1: In or sorry, in mixed sex couples. Yeah. So like. The, it's really hard because like you said like I really don't want to upset anybody
0: yeah but can I and just to just to elaborate on what I'm saying I mean I, I don't think I'm not saying that gay couples necessarily make bad parents I'm actually in favor and and this will annoy some people on the other flank maybe I, I've always been in favor of gay adoption because I think I think that some parents are better than no parents and I think if you if you if you're a if you're a child who's in need of adoption and there's a loving uh, same-sex couple as willing to adopt you then you're the luckiest child in the world but okay. that is that is substantial. And, you and, I are,
1: and you and I are 40 and are like well I'm 40 but like we're old enough to know multiple people that are our age that we grew up with who had frankly shite parents mm-hmm. who were same-sex parents who did a number on them who turned them into who were opposite-sex
0: parents I think you're saying there. So opposite,
1: opposite-sex mm-hmm. parents sorry who did a number on them who turned them into uh, you know problematic adults for in whatever way, whether they're alcoholics or incapable of having adult relationships or whatever, but people whose parents did an absolute number on them by virtue of the fact that they were crap parents and they were same sex parents. So, you know, like you're absolutely right in saying that like there's loads and loads and loads of, of same sex couples who would be better parents than, than, than straight couples or whatever, but still
0: well, it's, it's, a matter of, it's a matter of choice. This is what I'm saying. It, it's about it, it, to crystallize it down. There, there are lots of children out there who, through circumstances, aren't brought into what I think you use the word optimal, the optimal family situation. Um, and, and that is, there are lots of really good single parents out there who are struggling. There are, there are lots of mixed-sex couples who have adopted kids who are doing a really good job. But there's a difference between helping out a child who's in need or a child ending up in, uh, having a single parent or a mixed, a same sex couple or whatever by circumstance and deliberately paying to bring a child into that situation. There's a moral difference. And I think that's, that's, that for me is at the core of the surrogacy issue because you're not, you're not putting this child in a situation where it has no mother in its life because of circumstance. You're deliberately choosing to do that. You're making an active moral choice to do it. And I think that's deeply problematic. Um, and I—that's I, I, on that side—and then I think there are also issues with regard, as as you so eloquently pointed out, to the women um, who are being paid/slash exploited to do this. So uh, yeah. So
1: you know, if you have a if you have a a, a lesbian couple and they just have a child non surrogate but just via IVF, it's kind of the same thing, though, isn't it?
0: It is. And of course, gay male couples don't have that option. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Like, uh, I, 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 look is that perfect no it's not is it perfectly fair absolutely not I, I fully accept that but like life isn't fair <laughs> it's, it's, it's not I mean it's a, it's a function of your gender I mean wh- where does this end I mean if I found myself um, if she finally had enough of me and kicked me out in the morning and I found myself single again can I as a single dad um, avail of surrogacy to have a child for myself to keep me company in my old age yes and uh, I, I, I mean I think there's an issue with that yeah um, I, I i because I can't you know i i i i do think there's an issue with that because i they're they're like I don't think I should be able to buy a baby um i, well, that's, I think like,
1: that's an that's an interesting point now you've just made there hmm. because that kind of because the, the 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 thing is that like we're 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 dancing around and it's get it gets tricky and it gets tough because we don't want to upset anybody and we're not trying to diminish same-sex relationships. But if you just take what you just said just there, right? So you're a straight man. If your marriage ended and you were just a single person, should you be able, if you're really wealthy, should you be able to pay a surrogate to have a baby just for you? And you say no.
0: I say no. Because I, 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 I mean, I don't think I have the the right to do that to a child, first of all, to, to, to deliberately bring them into the world knowing that at the time I'm doing it, obviously I might meet somebody down the line, who knows, but the time that I'm doing it, I am deliberately... This hypothetical it, life of yours, yeah. Hypothetical life of yours. I mean, i Mrs. McGurk it probably isn't going to listen to this yeah. uh, for a few days, yeah. but in this hypothetical life, I, you know, I don't think I would have the right just to hand over some money and say to somebody else, uh, have my baby for me. And then you say goodbye to the baby. You never see it again. Off you go. And I bring this child into the world knowing as I do so that that child will never have its mother in its life. I think that's a horrendous thing to do to a child. I I, I, I wouldn't have the same qualms about going to an adoption agency and saying, um, look, if there's a child there who really needs a home, I'm willing to give him one. Because that child already exists. I'm not making a choice for that child. For its only existence to be one without a mother in its life. Um, so, so yeah, to me, from where I'm coming from, my moral perspective, that would be a deeply wrong thing to do. I, I can understand why some other people might look at that a slightly different way, but I don't agree with them.
1: Why do you, what, What's your understanding of what other people would say about that? That it's your right because it's half yours?
0: That everybody has a right to have a child. That a child brings huge joy to you. I mean, every argument that gets made, I find, tends to be about the person having the child, and very little about the children themselves. So, you know, there's, I I can that the person has so much love to give that they want to share. They want to do something good. They want to leave a legacy to the world. They want. They want. You know, all the reasons people have for wanting to have children. The argument essentially comes down that you've got a right to do that in every circumstance. I don't think you have a right to do that in every circumstance. I think you have um, you, you you can have the opportunity to do that with the right person. Um, and if you can't bring a child into the world naturally by yourself, then God knows there are plenty of kids in the world who need, it, who need a loving parent. And I, I, that's why I think surrogacy is just a, a terrible idea. Because also, you go down the road of if I decide to have a child by myself and I'm ordering my catalogue, am I going to I'm, I'm, I'm obviously going to pick the, 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 the smartest woman, the best looking woman I can, you know, to have the, uh, and then the child becomes a commodity, becomes a fashion accessory. becomes a look at my beautiful, smart child rather than the child who I'm, I I want just for the sake of, um, loving it. So, so yeah, I I think there's, I think, I think it it preys, I think surrogacy preys on kind of people's needs, but also brings out their worst instincts. That's what I think. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I still I, I think where I feel, where I where I come down is I think if it's non-commercial it's just completely changes the whole
0: And I the, agree with that.
1: The whole you know it's like it's like um it's like um you know there's lots of people who are very anti IVF um and there be people who be a lot of pro life people are very anti IVF and there's the mentality of for me creating life versus is different. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's I,
0: I I I I completely. By the way, I, I'm not one of those people. Like I, I I I agree with you. Your morality there is exactly aligned with me. If your intent with IVF is to conquer infertility, have a child that is your own, and your intention is to bring a life into the world, then I don't see. I, I I recognize. I completely respect those who talk about what about the other embryos and all the rest of it. But yeah, uh,
1: again, like a re re like there, that's reasonable questions to ask. And you know, I I I know people who've done IVF and very happily and who've had you know multiple children and then I've had this huge conundrum at the end with embryos that are left over and what they should do and, and been quite you know torn about it and it's it's not you know it's these are these are questions that arise from these kind of things but ultimately I think that the mentality of IVF and the joy that IVF brings and people who want to bring life into the world is completely different so I think it's the same it's the same it, it's kind of a similar in a similar vein I think that the the principles of surrogacy out of love for somebody else and helping somebody else to bring life into the world versus being paid to do so are different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement, as I said earlier on in the conversation. If it's somebody wanting to do something really kind and special for their sister or their best friend or wherever, I, I I completely understand that. And I think it's, it's it, in fact, it's noble. But I think when you go down the road, and this is what, by the way, what we're regulating in Ireland now is commercial surrogacy. So it's, it's literally yeah. it, the ability to go into an agency somewhere in Dublin, look at a catalogue of Ukrainian or Brazilian or Colombian or whatever they are, women, and say, I like the look of that one. And uh, how much is she owe oh, 100,000 euros? Yeah, that that's it. We, we'll happily pay her for that. Because the other thing we haven't talked about, Sarah, and we're running out of time, is the exploitation of the industry, the potential for the industry to exploit people. So you're paying 100,000, but how much is she actually getting of that? Like, you know, every time they talk about legalizing prostitution, the argument is, well, it cuts out the pimps. Um, because we know that women are who are in a position where they're selling their body for whatever reason are often desperate and being exploited for it. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing, I've never had a baby like like you, so I'm going to ask your opinion on this, but for me, I don't think it's a decision you can make with full information because I think that women who give birth, and, and every woman I've ever spoken to who has given birth for the first time tells me that nothing prepared for, prepared them for the bond they felt with that child. And I don't think you can enter a contract to hand that baby over, knowing exactly what you'll feel when you have it. And I think it must. Uh, there, there are undoubtedly women in the world who've gone through surrogacy, given birth to the baby, and realized this is my baby. I can't hand it over. And and like I just think it opens so many cans of worms that it's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, I mean, I there's all these chemicals. I mean, I, I think it's like describe the 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 chemical. You know, the chemical event that's happening in your body after you have a baby and how you bond with the baby and all of these things I just can't imagine you know like just you know and also you know we're we're, we're thinking about it in terms of you know doing it once and and then going oh and and then the difficulty in handing this baby over or whatever but like a a lot in a lot of cases these people are going to be doing this multiple multiple times that's even more that's even more grim like well, it must be after a while, you'd stop feeling that it would just be an event that you'd go, oh, yeah, whatever, and go back to doing it again.
0: Like that's it. I, mean, I always think that the thing that we don't talk about in, in the modern world at all, and when it comes to relationships and babies and sex and all that sort of stuff, is the very well documented um, reality of sort of female psychophysical bonding, mm-hmm. that's the right word. So do you remember when you were in school? I don't know, I mean, and this this is this is always mocked by liberals in Ireland. Uh, the, do you remember? I don't know if you were in school and you got that sex ed talk that yeah. they, where they where they ripped the bandage off all these times. Do you Remember that? And they were like the first time you oh, had oh, Salate. it
1: was Salate. was yeah, it yeah, sal- yeah. Yeah. Um But then that you lose, then you lose your stickiness. Yes.
0: Yes, but there's but like
1: you have to but, explain that now quickly. Go on.
0: Yeah. So, 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 like the the basic theory behind that is that when, uh, uh, particularly in the case of a woman, has sex with a man, um, her body releases sort of chemicals and all, hormones and all the rest of it that make her feel like really in love with him.
1: Made for life. Made for life.
0: Ma- yeah, yeah. Ma- ma- made for life. It's it's an instinctive sort of bonding ritual,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and that is why that is why. For example, first loves are often the ones that hit people the hardest when the relationships end. Um yeah. and the basic theory of the cell tape is that the basically the more partners you have, the the, the like the more emotionally disconnected from sex you become. Um and I I I, I look, it's controversial. There are people who who won't agree with, it, but I think I've always thought there's something to it. And it, it relates too, to giving birth. Like there's that there's that, that natural your body releases chemicals. To make you bond with the baby, just as it releases chemicals to make you bond with your sexual partner. And well, that's right. a, that's all for good evolutionary reason. And I think in society we ignore that and we we downplay it and we pretend that like you, you know, the modern the modern woman, the modern man can overcome it. And I just don't think it's true.
1: Yeah, like the Samantha Jones and Sex in the City thing. Yeah. I la I la- I nearly laughed because I knew what you were gonna say when you started to say it, and it's just been the subject of many, many. Wine-filled arguments amongst me and my female friends over the last, you know, wh- whether or not this is a thing, and and I'm not hundred percent sure we've solved it, but I think that there's an element of truth that men and women are different, and I'm talking about like, you know, the women, old-fashioned women, John, the ones with vaginas, um,
0: not that, not, not the cool new upgraded version,
1: Not the cool new, the cool new women, um, but that women, you know and men are different I know that's controversial to say but it's true and that their um like their sexuality and their behaviors around sexuality and relationships are different and I think that you know obviously there's exceptions for every rule and all that but ultimately there's there's truth in that and that ultimately over you know over the years of having a lot a lot a lot of casual encounters and this goes for men and women that if you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tinder one night interactions that the act becomes less meaningful and and I think that that's true and I think that that's a a, a hill I'm happy to die on and not saying that you have to be a virgin until your wedding night but that having sex with hundreds People definitely changes the meaning of the act for you. what well, I, I, I think
0: I, I think a simpler level, I would say that the, that, that the, the 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 emotional costs of casual sex are lower for men than women. Put it that way. That's how I would yeah. uh, how I would uh, how I would um, sort of characterize it. And that there are emotional costs, and people don't talk about them because it's not cool to talk about them. Um, because it's kind of the equivalent of
1: rude and you're, you know, far right religious, we're just far right religious freaks who don't know anything about real life or dating or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that that is true. And I think that if you apply that to having multiple, multiple, multiple pregnancies for other people, there's something unbelievably depressing
0: about that to me. Well, on that depressing note, we'll leave it for this week. We wouldn't know it was nearly Christmas with the depressing conversation we had this week. Um, we hope it wasn't that depressing. We hope it was interesting and thought-provoking for you, Wherever your thoughts on that issue or any of the other issues we raised are, and let us know in the comments. Next week, we'll be back with a much more upbeat, Christmassy episode as Sarah gets ready to cook for... How many people is it, Sarah, did you say at the start of the show? 16? 17? 16? Yeah. And oh, sure. I, prepare, I prepare to go to somebody else's house and have my sandwiches handed to me. Ah, the contrast in our lives sometimes makes me feel guilty. All right, listen, thanks everybody for listening. We will be back next week with another edition of The Week That Really Was.